You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Today we're going to talk about hope. You know, we're, we're on that, that passage and, and we're kind of clicking through what it means to be an always family. And I'm going to talk to you about some just things I've learned about hope as I've really meditated on it this time around. And they're not in any particular order. I'm just going to tell you some things. And then we're going to practice it at the end of the message. Um, we're going to practice uh, really building hope inside ourselves. So, but I need to begin with some jokes about hope. Okay, so here you go. To the person who stole my antidepressants, I hope you're happy now. <laughs> That's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> I hope when I, I hope when I ev- inevitably choke to death on gummy bears, people would just say I was killed by bears and leave it at that. <laughs> this one's going to take a minute for you, but... Extra points to the person who laughs loud as soon as I finish. I mean, on purpose, like you get it. There was a person who sent 10 different puns to his friends with the hope that at least one of the puns would make them laugh. No pun intended. (laughs) Come on. It's days like the day I really need Steve Weldon in the room. Last one, I went to a hospital to cheer up the patients and I took my ukulele and I went from room to room and I sang songs and I told jokes and I got all the way to the last room and I played my songs and I sang and I told jokes and when I got done, I said to the man in the bed, I hope you feel better and he said, nope, I said to the man in bed, I hope you get better and he said, I hope you get better too. All right, let's read this together. You ready? Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And love always laughs at my jokes. This verse sits right in the middle of a section of, in this letter. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are a section in this letter where Paul is teaching the early church how the early how early, healthy, worshiping communities were supposed to function. He's not talking to the Corinthians about their personal lives, although that's how we often use, especially 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But he's talking to them about the part they play in the body of Christ. This is about how to live together. So, what's my part in the body of Christ? How do I protect other people, people I love, who are in this family with me without trying to fix them? How can the community help me learn how to trust, to believe everything good that can be believed about another person? And today we're talking about this one. What does an always hope look like? And how is our hope different from the hope the rest of the world tends to show? So last Monday we got to, uh, we got to remember a moment when hope ignited real change in our country. Last Monday was Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and our nation honored his life yet again, this man who laid his whole life on the line for the sake of his country. 
Reverend Dr. King was brilliant at casting a hopeful vision. And his most fa famous speech, his I Have a Dream speech, was an anthem of hope. And that speech, King painted a vision of what can be. He said, I, ca I can hardly say it without hearing his voice, you know, booming across that square. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places made straight, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. Amen. He went on like this. And when he got to the end of this stunning litany of dreams, King said, this is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. That's the line that inspired the MLK monument that now stands in Washington, D.C. It is a fabulous monument to hope. And what a testament that speech was to the power of hope. We haven't yet begun to realize Dr. King's dreams. We have not yet learned as a country to always protect, always trust, always hope, always persevere with each other, regardless of the color of our skin or our economic status. We're not at the heart level. We haven't. We're not there yet. But Martin Luther King's dream broke loose that iceberg of inaction at the legislative level and brought real change and much more. He gave us a vision of what can be. And that kind of hope, real hope, always hope, is powerful. That's what I want you to hear today if you don't hear anything else. And always hope is a powerful force. You should write that down. In fact, you need to pull out your Bible Set it open to 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to be looking at verse 7 again. And maybe in the margin of verse 7, just write that. Real hope is a powerful force. Holding on to hope is powerful. It has the opportunity to break through doubts and fears. It's hope. Hope has the power to break through stubbornness and disbelief, to break through hatred and prejudice, to, to, to um, shore up our imaginations again, to shake loose stagnant thinking. Holding hope is powerful. It can change lives and communities and can change the direction of a situation. Real hope has real power. Say that together with me. Real hope has real power. But it can be hard to grab hold to, you know, because hope is abstract and it's future tense and it's this undefined thing that's sort of out there somewhere. We might not be able to see it. Romans, in Romans, Paul said, hoping for things you can see is not exactly hope. We hope for what we cannot yet see. So what can we say about a concept that is abstract, but powerful, real, but invisible? I just want to share some thoughts with you. 
And then we're going to practice it together. First, and always hope is more than wishful thinking. I think of wishful thinking actually as a more passive response. To me, it's, it's uh, wishing someone would act differently so I can feel better. Hope is more interactive. Hope is me believing in something enough to hang in so it can happen through me. Does that make sense? Do you hear the difference? Wishful thinking has me expecting someone else's behavior will change, but hope has me aspiring to something that will use and change me. Think about the story of Lazarus. You remember that one, Lazarus being raised from the dead? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were good friends to Jesus. In fact, they believed he was the Messiah. So when Lazarus got sick, Martha sent for Jesus, thinking that if he'd just come, he could heal her brother. But Jesus didn't come, Lazarus died, and Martha got mad. When Jesus finally did show up, she said, if you'd been here, my brother would still be alive. He wouldn't have died. And that's when Jesus handed her what would become a timeless word of hope because it's rooted in the resurrection. He didn't start with what he would have done, should have done, could have done. He he didn't start with Lazarus. He started with Martha's mindset toward hope. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives believing in me will never die. And then he asks her this question, do you believe this? Huge question. That, friends, is the first question of hope. This thing you're hoping for, do you believe it enough to invest your own faith in it? Because hesitating is not hope. Hedging your bets, not hope. Do you believe in it enough to invest whatever else God might ask of you? Do you believe this? So after talking with Martha about the substance of hope, the, the, the faith it requires, Jesus went to the tomb of Martha's brother, and, she, and, and he asked that the stone would be rolled away. And Martha was horrified. Basically, she said, are you sure? I mean, he's dead. He's going to stink. This is what it says. Which pretty much answered Jesus' question, do you believe this? Well, no, not enough to roll the stone away. Jesus, he's dead. And Jesus said, right then, he looked at her and he said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Which is the right end point for any hopeful thought we have. Will it glorify God? It's the same thing he said in Mark's gospel when he cast a demon out of a boy. He said, everything is possible for one who believes. That's, that's an always hope line, too. So Jesus stands in front of Lazarus' tomb and calls the people who are watching to something higher than wishful thinking while he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. And when Lazarus comes, everything is possible for one who believes. But you do have to wonder how La- Lazarus smelled, right? You do have to wonder, because he, he was dead. Wouldn't it be great to find out that 
God had perfumed him up before he walked out. <laughs> like, just to mess with Martha. <laughs> he's not only alive, he smells like Irish Spring. Look. <laughs> Thank you, Paula. <laughs> or is that you just now getting the joke that I told him? <laughs> Do you believe? Did I not tell you that if you will believe, you will see the glory of God? What do we really believe God is capable of? I'm not talking about naming it and claiming it. For the most part, that's name it, claim it theology is bad theology. But if we're going to hope with an always hope, a kingdom hope, you know, we need to set our heights higher, and we need to do our own homework. We have to understand the character of God. We have to watch for the moves of God, become a student of the moves of God, listen in prayer for the heart of God so we don't run the very sad and frustrating risk of dreaming dreams God has no intention of fulfilling. On the other end of the spectrum, we have to understand the character of God and watch for the moves of God and listen in prayer for the heart of God so we don't dream too small. I love how Bonhoeffer talks about hope. He, he, he talked about claiming the future for yourself and not abandoning it to your enemy. That's good right there. I don't want to dream so small or become so skeptical about life that I leave dreams on the table for my enemy to walk away with. I don't want to dream so small or become so skeptical about life that I leave dreams on the table so my enemy can walk away with them. I think God would rather have you a little frustrated because you dreamed a dream you can't get to than he would have the enemy happy with the dreams he stole from you. Do you hear me? Does that make sense? So the next time you get frustrated about something that did not hit all the expectations you're thinking, you just need to say to yourself, well, at least the enemy didn't get it. At least I dreamed big enough that the enemy didn't get it. In my study of women pastors, I came across something I'd not heard of before, something at the time I didn't, hadn't heard of before called optimism bias. You ever heard of that? Uh, There's a whole book written on it. I found it while I was trying to, to um, figure out why so many women pastors that I surveyed were painting this rosy picture of their perfect world. I mean, they were, in their, in their written responses to survey questions, they would gush about how great everything was and how well it was all going and how supportive all the people were and how good their health was. And I could not figure it out. Is it me? Is it just me? But, but also, none of the research that I had done in other areas where women lead, none of it supported what these women were telling me who were pastors. So I started calling them up. I got on the phone with these same pastors and, after we talked for a while, they'd open up, and they'd tell me their real stories. And some of them were horrible. Some of the things that happened to these women leaders, some of them were immoral. Some of those things were illegal. 
And I'd ask them, why didn't you tell me this stuff at first? And one woman said, I guess I've just gotten so used to selling myself that I'd forgotten. I've, I've, I can't even remember, but I forgot my own reality. I'd just gotten so used to selling myself as capable that I forgot my own reality. That's optimism bias. It is the constant rosy picture that we paint that doesn't fit reality. It's us saying, everything's great, while we're dying inside. And that can be helpful. I mean, it can keep us from quitting, you know. But optimism bias is not real hope. Real hope does not deny reality. You should write that down. Real hope does not deny reality. It actually searches for reality. It searches for the rare and kingdom-minded reality. Real hope is after the best possible future, one that cooperates with God's plan. So how do you know which you've got? Are you a wishful thinker or a hope broker? Tally Chereau is the person who wrote the book on optimism bias. She's a psychiatrist. She's done all kinds of studies about um, optimism. And, uh, and she says, you know, if, if, you've got, if you've got real hope, it leads to, a, to a, he, she calls it optimism, real optimism. I'm going to call it hope. But she says if you do that, it leads to a, to a, a decrease in anxiety and stress, that it leads to an increased ability, increased ability to persevere which is cool because that's our next word next week. We'll talk about what it takes to always persevere. It's almost like she was listening to Paul. So she talks about three positive effects of hope, and I just want you to jot these down and think through them in your own life and how they work out in your own life. People with high expectations always feel better, <laughs> which is kind of counterintuitive because what we tend to do is we tend to downplay the possibilities so we won't be disappointed, right? We, t we tend to, you know, we, we, if we don't expect greatness, if we don't expect to find love and be healthy and successful, well, we won't be disappointed when these things don't happen. And if we're not disappointed when good things don't happen, then, we, well, we can be pleasantly surprised when we do. That we'll, we'll, we'll be happy then when it happens, but we won't expect it. That seems good in theory, but it's not actually the way it works turns out to be wrong. Whatever happens, whether you succeed or you fail, people with high expectations always feel better because how we feel when we get dumped or, or when employee of the month, either, either direction, how we feel depends on how we interpret that event. Do we interpret it through a lens of hope? Do we interpret it through an always hope or do we interpret it through an always things bad happen to me? So do you hear? What do you, which, does this make sense? Yeah. Second thing, regardless of the outcome, the pure act of anticipation will make us happy. It's why we like Fridays and aren't so big on Sundays. <laughs> you know, and it was just kind of crazy. We love Fridays. We feel great on Fridays. Why? Because Saturday's coming. But Friday is a work day. Sunday is not a work day, but we feel bad on Sundays, especially I'm married to a teacher. I know, I know what Sunday nights can be. S Sunday, by Sundays, we feel bad because what? Monday's coming. Right. 
So, so re- regardless of the outcome, the pure act of anticipating good things makes us happy. So why not set your hope on something higher than whether it's Friday or Monday? <laughs> the third thing, optimism, hope, changes objective reality. It acts as a self-fulfilling prophecy, and nobody makes a better point of that than Martin Luther King. I mean, he stood up in front of a nation full of people, and he had the courage and audacity to dream a big dream. And we have not yet gotten there, but imagine what the civil rights movement would have been like if he had not stood up there and dreamed a big dream. He was talking to that throng of people who had been working for so long toward meaningful change, and he said this. He said, you have been the veterans of creative suffering. Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. So write that down. Unearned suffering is redemptive. That is a hope-breeding formula. Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. That's what Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 5. He says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Hope breeds hope because it breeds character and faith. We get to see how God can make good out of anything. The, the Greek word Paul uses for hope in 1 Corinthians 13, 7 is elpizo. It means to wait, expect, or trust in confidence. And that's the, that's the key word. Confidence in the power of God and in what's possible. It's the kind of hope that sees what is good in another person and believes they can get it there from here. I need to remind you, hedging is not hope. We might have to wait, but we can expect that God can get us there from here. We, we become, in other words, we become more committed when we commit. Hope breeds hope. One last thing, and always hope is anchored in God's vision. Real hope is not for this life only, and always hope is rooted in eternity, borrowed from eternity. I love that thought that when I hope a genuine and authentic hope, I am drawing down from heaven itself. That is a powerful thought. Paul says in his same letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I like the way the message puts this line. He says, if all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. In other words, Jesus has got to be more for us than a meme to get us through the day, right? He said about hope, Mark 11 Chapter, uh, verse 23, if anyone says to this mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, no hedging, no hesitating, does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. And that sounds completely unrealistic. But listen, isn't that what Jesus did for you? Before you had it together? Before you believed in him or even believed in yourself, Jesus believed in you. Jesus held hope for you. Jesus held hope for you when nothing in your life pointed toward that hope. 
And all he asks of you is that you hold hope in him. (laughs) Do you hold hope for Jesus? Do you believe he's coming again? The better question is, do you live like you believe he's coming again? Do you hope like Jesus is the source of all real hope? Or are you hedging your bets? Do you know Jesus as the source of real hope? That he can move mountains. If anyone says to this mountain, brings me back to that monument in Washington for MLK. He says this, we will, we will hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. Isn't that a, just a glorious piece of art right there? That's a powerful image. That man believed this country could make meaningful change even while he was being beaten and jailed, threatened and bombed. Somehow he could still hold hope, a hope anchored in Jesus' prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, in this country, in my home, just as it is in heaven. I wonder what might happen if you place that image right there over your situation and began to believe that God could chisel out of your mountain of despair a stone of hope. What if you began to dream again? You know, the pandemic has done that thing to us. It's made us all think small, right? It's got us in survival mode. We're hesitant to even touch each other, much less dream big dreams. You know, one of the things I did uh, last week, Kelly Ruprecht and I decided we're going to the Dominican Republic this year on a mission trip. If you're with us, talk to me. We're not going to dream like we've had our last good day on an international mission trip. I am going to believe... <laughs> that God can get us there and get us home. Yeah, if he gets us there, that's okay. I don't have to get home. (laughs) Just joking, just joking. (sighs) What might happen if you began to dream again? Yeah, I wonder how that I have a dream speech first formed in Dr. King's spirit. He had actually preached it several times before the day he preached it in front of the nation, and Organizers for that big event said, don't do that one again because it's already been done. But just before he was to stand up and speak, Mahalia Jackson leaned over and said to him, tell him about the dream, Martin. That's how we keep hope alive. We keep hope alive by rehearsing our big dreams and searching after God's dreams. Sometimes the rehearsing is how we remember that we have dreams. So what are your personal dreams? I want to ask you, just set your stuff aside right now. Close your eyes. Where are the great moves of God in your life? What are your dreams? I have a dream that one day my mind will be at peace and completely focused on God and His will and nothing else. I have a dream that one day I will be able to serve the global church of Jesus Christ in a way that pleases God and uses my best gifts. 
I have a dream that one day I'll be really good at unsuspiciously believing everything that can be believed about everyone God places in my path. Those are some of my dreams just for me, just for me. What are your dreams just for you? Not your family, not your coworkers, just you. Maybe you want to take a minute to jot them down. Ask God to open your brain up again, your spirit, so you can dream with him. God, what can I hope for? What are your dreams for your faith community? The place you call your spiritual home. What are your dreams? I'll tell you some of mine. I have a dream that one day we will earn our name. That the vision for diversity that has inspired the name Mosaic in the beginning will become a reality and that this room will truly be a reflection of Revelation 7-9. I have a dream that children with special needs and their families will be so much a part of our worship life that we're known for our hospitality toward those who might not otherwise be able to attend church. I have a dream. But I have bigger dreams even. I have much bigger dreams. I have a dream that one day we will see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this room and a harvest of souls in Evans, Georgia. I have a dream that one day every apartment at Maxwell House will be occupied by a follower of Jesus and every hallway will be filled with prayer, a spiritual revival in that building that overflows into downtown Augusta. I have a dream that one day every man, woman, and child at Mosaic will be filled with the Holy Spirit and serving joyfully out of their gifts and call. That one day the Mosaic Center will be known in our community as the place where love and service collide. What are your dreams for your faith community? Your church. I want you to listen to your own spirit, to the Spirit of God. What are your dreams for your church? No hedging, just hope. What are your dreams for the world and for our place in the world? I have a dream that one day the soil 
of Columbia County might be delivered of its fear and the soil of Richmond County delivered of its anger. I have a dream that one day racially motivated hatred and violence will show up only in history books. I have a dream that one day every weapon created by humanity will be hammered into tools for the harvest of souls. I have a dream that one day all politics, local, national, inter international, all politics will be anchored in an always spirit, always protecting, always trusting, always hoping, always persevering. I have a dream that one day all people will walk in holiness and will enjoy the goodness of God on this earth. What are your dreams? Listen to the Spirit. Psalm 42 speaking so directly to us. Why are you downcast, my soul? Why are you so discouraged? Put your hope in God. For I will again praise him, my help and my God. It's time, folks, to come out of this hibernation and believe again in God's dreams. So I want to ask you to stand where you are. And with those dreams in your spirit that you've already dreamed and the ones that you'll have to give yourself permission to dream later, I want to invite you to pray with me. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come, Lord Jesus, and do in us, through us, for us, what we cannot do for ourselves, God. I'm praying for the one God who's standing in front of a tomb, something that looks for all the wor world like dead. I'm praying for that one as they, as they stand in front of that situation. And I am asking God that you will give them hope. Hope enough to roll the stone away. Not hand anything to the enemy that does not belong to the enemy. Be more willing to be frustrated by a hope that's too big than to be frustrated because we dream too small. Jesus, I'm praying for the one who is staring at a mountain right now and feeling despair. Why are you so discouraged, my soul? Why so discouraged? Put your hope in God. For I shall again praise in my help and my God. I am praying, God, that Psalm 42 would well up in that spirit and that mountain would now become just an opportunity to find the stone of hope. Jesus, 
do something new in this room right now, Lord. Awaken somebody's spirit. Awaken somebody's hope. Give somebody the grace to believe what you believe. You who believe in us, God, give us the ability to believe what you believe about us. <laughs> Jesus. Our hope is built on you, Jesus. Amen? Our hope is built on you, Jesus. Our hope is built on you, Jesus. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.